Hey, cheapskates, listen up. If you haven't tried our coffee yet, it's only $5 this month with a subscription. That's the cost of one cup of coffee at Starbucks, and you got like a couple weeks here in a bag. Now's the time to try our coffee. This is the month to try it. $5. It's delicious. Sip your sadness with the E&D Organic Coffee. Try the Broken Heart Blend, the Screamo Blend, or the Triste Mexicana Blend. Did I say that right? Thank you. Try it today. You won't regret it. What's up, E&D fans? Welcome back to the E&D Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kutchel. And today we have a very special guest. He is a legendary band guy, if you will. And he's been in a lot of amazing, amazing bands. We got Nick Martin here from Sleeping With Sirens. Give Thank it up, you. everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Legendary. That, that meant a lot to hear that. Thank Dude, you. Dude, I mean it because you've been in the scene now for over 20 years. Is that right? Over 20 years. Over yeah. 20 years and played in some <laughs> freaking legendary, <laughs> iconic bands. Like, that's fucking crazy. I, <clears throat> I kind of feel like I date myself when I... When I put that in perspective, like 20 years plus years is, it's a lot of years. 1999, years. right? Yeah. That's when I started playing shows in 99. Yeah. That's wild. Damn. Yeah. Well, you know what's, what, what's funny is, and by the way, as listen, none of us like aging. I can't stand being like, I'm nearing 40 years old. I, I hate saying See, I don't that. mind it. I don't mind it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, why I don't is that? Mind it. I, I think that I've just embraced getting older. Like I'm 40. Yeah. Um, and I maybe it's it's such a cliche thing for a lot of people to say that um you know they feel younger than they ever have but i can honestly say that i can yeah. say that i'm healthier and feeling so much better than i did in my 20s yeah and so i don't know my perspective on it is that we all get older it's like it's inevitable yeah so either you know embracing it or you know trying to somehow backtrack that or not make that happen like you know it's it's inevitable so i guess 40 is a new 30 dude you know and you know what i mean i'm 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 literally a a short couple years away from it and like i i really i really joke about it more than i actually hate it because i have lived a very fulfilling life and i think like especially for you you've done such you've had such a life already so much more to come with with new records and music or whatever projects you're going to do but like it's crazy to think that in the 20 years of being or 20 plus years of being a credible touring musician, putting out albums, that that music now is what no joke 20 year olds are listening to. And it's their version of like classic rock, <laughs> which is that's whoa. not that's the mind blowing part right <laughs> yeah. there is yeah, I'm seeing and no joke, bro. I'm seeing like I'm seeing E&D fans uh, that will come to me and they're 20, 21 years old. And they're like, yeah, my, my parents used to listen to Taking Back Sunday. My parents, and I'm like, what the hell, Isn't that dude? crazy? Yeah, yeah. and, and the, that's, what, that's what blows my mind is that we are now to the age where all the music that we grew up playing bands in, listening to, has become the, it's now classic music. Yeah. Yeah, you <laughs> know what's crazy <laughs> is people still listen to Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's still a yeah. huge market for you know, even in in a younger eighties band or an earlier eighties band. So it's like when people talk about the scene dying or emo dying, I'm like, there's still people buying Metallica and Guns N' Roses t-shirts. We're going to be fine. It's so true. And it's humbling. It's super humbling as a musician that that's why I've, I always say that anything that I do now is just like, 
you know, icing on top. Like I've been very, very fortunate and I'm so grateful. So to even be doing this for 20 plus years, like I, I literally wake up every single day going like, I'm the luckiest human being ever. Dude, Dude. for real. Yeah. So before we were rolling and I kind of want to talk about this on the podcast, but we were talking about Nashville and I was saying yeah. that myself and my, we were saying my wife, I have a wife. Congratulations by the you. way. Married Congrats. man. Ladies, sorry, <laughs> I'm taken. Um, no, but we were talking about Nashville has been on our hearts on possibly moving there. And then it kind of led to you talking about it's now become a hub for it's become the new hub for producers, singers, songwriters, not just country. Like you said that Sleeping With Sirens, you guys will go record there. You'll um, rehearse there. What what's the draw there? Is it because it's just like, what, how did that, I, I'm, I'm not aware of how that happened. Like, when did that happen? I actually don't even know because I joined about, I'm about to come up on my 10 year anniversary with the band and my first time ever meeting all of them or really like hanging with them was going to rehearse with them and it was in Nashville. So they've been there even prior to me um, uh, joining the band and Nashville has always just been a central hub. And I think this goes for a lot of bands, it, um, not even just country um, within our scene, because there's a lot of really big rehearsal spots in Nashville where people just store their gear, which is what we do there. So that is literally like our, like I said, our central hub. And um, it's very interesting to see that Nashville is what it is now, because just like you were saying, um, we, the, another running joke in Nashville is that it's where Warped Tour musicians go to retire. They go to retire in Nashville. Um, because there's so many great songwriters within our scene mm -hmm. that they can go write country songs, they can go write pop songs, and Nashville is, is that place. But it's definitely changed, and we were talking about it, that when we go to bars now, um, people will come up to us, but it's, it's mainly <laughs> a lot of songwriters that are like, like, what do I got to do to get in the studio with sirens? And mm -hmm. like really like being persistent mm -hmm. about like wanting to, uh, work with us. But I think it's, that's just the hustle mentality in Nashville is that, um, there's so many songwriters there that are all just like, put me in a studio yeah. and like, let me, let me work. And it's cool to see. Yeah. It's more, it's a lot of like aspiring people and up and coming people Absolutely. versus to LA is so freaking expensive that you kind of have to be already a very successful professional to be here. Yeah. So I assume when you guys go out in bars in LA, it's probably way less of that. Have you ever given any of these producers or songwriters a chance? Has anyone ever come you know, up to you and been like, yeah. you know what we have. So when we did our last record complete collapse, um, there was a, I mean, it was kind of a buddy of our producer, um, but he had said we were at a bar and his buddy was there. His name was Michael Whitworth and, um, come to find out he's, he's done a lot of amazing sessions with songwriting and, um, he was like, Let, let's chop it up. Let's get in the studio. I'll be there tomorrow. And we're like, I mean, if, if our producer, Andrew Bayless is down, like bring him on in. And, uh, he literally wrote our, our first radio single on the record. Oh, I mean, so, and, and which was complete collapse. So. Um, it was amazing to see, and this goes to my whole entire career. I've been really fortunate to be in the studio with great producers and great songwriters, and I'm always just learning from everything that's going on. So 
even now, like being in a studio um, with him and watching him write and how he comes up with melody, um, you know, it only just inspires me and makes me want to just be better at what I'm doing, you know, just constantly learning from everybody. Sick. So it's worked out. It has worked out. Yeah. 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 And so you're from, you grew up in San Diego? Grew up in San Diego. Were you born born there? Born and raised. So which bands that you grew up with, who got you into the scene? Who got you into this music? And was it, was there a friend that took you to the first concert that blew your mind? Like what was that? What was your first experience diving into this kind of music? Um, so my first concert that I ever went to, I was in the eighth grade and I skipped my eighth grade graduation, like trip to Disneyland to go see No Doubt, Weezer and the Suicide Machines. And this was when No Doubt came out with Tragic Kingdom. Weezer was touring on the Blue Album. Um, and then there was this band, the Suicide Machines, and they're just this awesome ska punk rock band. Mm -hmm. And that kind of me and my buddy, that kind of opened the door of like, what's this other music going on? But I was already into um, The Clash and The Misfits, and I was already getting into punk rock a lot, loved Green Day, and you know, uh, found out about like Epitaph Records, Fat Wreck, and um, really got into bands like The Bouncing Souls, Goldfinger, um, and local bands like Swindle, and then Blink. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm, I'm that old that the first time I heard Blink was when they were called Blink. There was no 182 yet. And those bands just made me want to be in a band. Mm-hmm. And then I found out Rancid and started going to all these punk rock shows in San Diego. And that just changed me. That's all I wanted to do every single weekend. My parents would just drop me off at a venue called Soma, but, but it was in an old location. And, um, I was just that, I mean, I'm an introverted person. So I was just that, that dude that just stood in the back and just like soaked everything in and was like, I just want to do this. Like, what do I oh, have I to love do? That. Yeah. Dude, it's funny because I'm, people don't know this, especially when you're on stage doing what you do when I'm doing what I do in my videos. I'm a very introverted person as well. Yeah. And I can go to dinner and sit by myself and put headphones in and listen to music and enjoy it. I love, I will go to a concert by myself any day. Hey, I don't I need, do, I, don't, time. I don't need to chat. No, I'm, I'm there for the experience. I want to watch. I want to listen. I don't need like, you're the only other person I've talked to that would be like, yeah, I'll go to a concert by myself. Like yeah. I would hundred percent do that. Yeah. I go to movies by myself. That's like what I do on tour. Days I, draw, off, I draw the I go line there. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I, I love it. I, I think that, I mean, I guess like growing up cause I'm an only child. Um, you know, I was, you know, I was a bit of a loner, but I don't want to say that in like a negative, like feel sorry for me way. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I thrived in that and, you know, going to punk rock shows, you know, at my high school at the time, there was nobody else that knew about these bands, but that was like the cool thing to me that felt like, oh, this is like, like no one else knows about this. And like, this is like punk rock and hardcore is like my thing and no one else knows about it. Mm-hmm. So it was you know, it was like kind of like living this other life on the weekends that like nobody at my school knew about. And that made punk rock that much cooler and like against the grain and um, just opened my mind to so many things. Yeah. So how do you bridge the gap from the punk scene and, and what your influences were there to then in 99, you start undermined. Yep. And obviously, I mean, your vocal performance on that 
on those first two records or the only two records. Yeah. And like incredible. One of, one of my big influences. Thanks, um, dude. Yeah. And, uh, and so how did you bridge the gap from punk rock into this like way heavier sound so early in that sound scene? Well, I was, I got super into hardcore music, like a major like influence for me was minor threat. Mm. And it was just this fast, rebellious, scream your head off type of music. And there was another local band called Swindle, which was a punk rock band, but he like screamed quite a bit too. And then there was this band called The Neighbors who I loved and they, all their songs were less than 15 seconds. And he would just talk shit to the crowd in between each song. And I always just thought it was the most hilarious, funny thing ever. You know, he'd finish a song and then he'd go, um, I've had more fun at a fucking Yanni concert. And then they would just break into another song. And you're like, <laughs> what is happening? But so, um, so when we started, it's interesting because when we started Underminded, we were all into MXPX and Newfound Glory and Saves the Day. Um, but we just kind of gravitated more towards just like heavier music and me just screaming, yeah. I guess. And then I got into bands like Poison the Well mm-hmm. and uh, Zao and... Um, Damn, he was in a lot of your favorite bands. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. and, and just into like Trust Kill Records um, type of stuff. And then uh, um, just going on like my first tours and we play with these really heavy bands and I would just be like, I want to, we need to be doing like, this is like something way different than what everyone else is doing right now. Right. And I think that was kind of something with Underminded and my, sometimes I wish maybe we would have stuck around a couple more years. I think we were just kind of a little too ahead of the curve. And I, it's cool now because bands like Under Oath and A Day to Remember and all these bands will be like, dude, Underminded, like that, that, that shit like it influenced us so much, but it was just so, it was a little too early. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, it was just punk rock kind of bled into hardcore stuff. And then we just kind of rode that wave. Got it. So yeah, you, you're and your scream back then was just fucking gnarly, and it sounds I was like spitting, it was, spitting up blood. Yeah, for real. Oh, yeah. were you? Yeah, I had to take vocal lessons at one point because when we recorded our first album, um, the producer at the time was like, "Dude, you can't keep screaming like this. Like, you're literally not gonna have a voice by the time you're 21." And oh, that shit. scared the shit out of me. And I was like, "All right, better take some vocal lessons and learn how to scream properly." Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you this. Uh, I don't know any technique with screaming. Whenever I do it for fun, it's literally just screaming as loud as I can until yeah. until it maybe sounds decent. Yeah, never does. But <laughs> is it, did you just learn how to? It's not a. It's not an actual loud scream, and it's more how you. It's the more the technique on cupping the mic and the growl in your voice. Like what? How would you explain to someone how to do it? Because it's so I'm, hard. It is, huh? Yeah, because. It comes from my from my diaphragm, so like from my stomach up, and it's not from my throat anymore. Because back it. in the day when I first started, it was from my throat. Yeah. But and then it would just, like I said, it'd just be coughing up blood. So it was just using a technique of singing from your diaphragm, but finding like um, it's always hard to explain. Like there's tonal screaming. Like it isn't just like a shriek. There's actually tone to it. Mm. So you know it's actually an E or a, an F or whatever it is on the, on the scale. Um, no and just shit. Learning, I would have never thought that. Yeah. And so just learning how, how that works. But I feel like 
my brain finally just like figured it out and took over because mm. anytime like fans ask us like how do you scream most of the time i'm like i don't know like huh. um melissa cross from who does the zen of screaming um i had her dvd and she's helped you know every time i die and kellen as well with how to scream properly and you know even watching those helps so much from screaming from a certain place in your body as opposed from your throat because and, it could be terrible. And where did you learn to scream? Like for, I know for me, it was like in the car and I could just get yeah. as loud as I wanted to and try out all these different noises and, and techniques. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. It was car. Yeah. I would just sit in my car and listen to like thrice records and poison the well and just be like, just try to mimic that. Cause when you're figuring it out, you, you almost have to go volume to get, understand what it's doing and then bring the volume down. Was that your experience as well? Yes, absolutely. That's absolutely it. But yeah, if I were to teach someone how to do it, I would fail miserably. It's so it sounds like shit when you're first it trying. Does. You're like, what am I doing? Am I yeah, doing? it's bad. It's real bad. What's up, E&D lovers? It's your boy Matt here to tell you, if you need a new shirt, support the little guys and buy our merch. This right here is the mosh tee. It says emo is not dead in metal text. Pretty sick, huh? Oh, and this one? This is the Inferno Tea. It's a half-dead, scorching hot eagle. Who doesn't love eagles? This is our Sad Kids Society hoodie. We're actually having trouble keeping this one in stock. Check out the back on this bad boy. This is the Mourn Me Long Sleeve. It's got long sleeves to cover up those hideous tattoos we accidentally get. This sleeve's covering up my ex-girlfriend's name. Check out the back on this bad boy. And for our people who want to keep it a little bit more simple and classic, our E&D signature range, quality fabrics, premium fit. So head to emosnotdead.com, use the discount code podcast, and support the little guy for once. Every drummer that's been an undermined has gone on to do awesome things. Like Mike Fuentes was our first drummer from Pierce. Pierce is Pierce, fucking huge. Um, and then our second drummer, Joe Mullen, he plays percussion in Paramore now. And Tanner Wayne, the last drummer we had, um, he's uh, the drummer in In Flames now. Right. So yep. it's it's really cool to see um, like people that have come from that band go on to do like great things, you know. It's yeah. really, really cool. And and to touch on Mike playing drums for you guys. Yep. So you guys used to play together i understand there's a band practice where you guys would play together yeah yeah so what tell, tell me how did that start like how did you meet up uh, with these guys oh man so weird so the first show undermined ever played was at we we rented not even a vfw hall it was like a church hall mm -hmm. and uh we played and our buddy um um who was in high school with us, had another band. I forgot what they were called, but Mike was the drummer of that band. Um, and when we played the show, we all sucked. But when I watched their band, I was like, that drummer is really, really good. And it was Mike. Mm. Um, and I literally, I think after our show, I was like, you want to play drums in our band? And he was like, yep. You know, he's like 15 years old. And he was like, just down for whatever. And uh, he was like, we can just jam at my house. So we would just go over to, to Mike's house and he, he literally had the smallest bedroom, but all it was, was just a bed, a, a drum kit and, and amps. That was all he had in his room. And you just, you just shoulder to shoulder in there and we just jam. 
And so that's how I met Vic, obviously. Um, and we started our bands together in that, in that bedroom. So wow. we would go over and jam for an hour, hour and a half. And then Vic and his, and his band, they would come in and then they would jam after us. And we just came up together and just like book shows together. And so Pierce started in 99 too. So they started in like 2000, 2001. Got it. Um, uh, we had started jamming initially, um, at our bass player's house at the time in his basement. And then his parents got super sick of that. And then we started going over to Mike's house. Got it. Yeah. Wait, Pierce started in 2001? I think it was early. I mean, so the had, earliest, I mean, the earliest inception of it. I think the okay, first band they it. were in was called Early Times. Okay, got it. So it was, yeah. then it was Early Times. So I wonder when they actually became Pierce the Veil. That was, uh, man, because they was, it was Early Times that was, first, and then it went to Before Today. And then Before Today turned into Pierce the Veil. Got it. And they had to change their band name from early times because it's a whiskey and they were going to get sued. Oh, so no they had to shit. Change their band name before no today. shit. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I love that you guys have, like, I didn't know that whole story about your history back then with the Pierce the Veil guys because now when you guys do your song together on stage and fans freak out, not only is it a great song, but your history. Yeah. They're probably like, this, like your, your true fans that know your history are like, this is so fucking cool to see, like, 25 years later. I don't know. That's just, there's something it's, so cool about it's it. It's really cool. Vic and I, we talk uh, constantly and we always have moments where we're talking to each other and we say like, dude, you ever think like any of this would have like turned into this when we were jamming in, yeah. in Mike's room? You know what I mean? Like it's, we're, we're, it, we both have really great like heart to heart talks about like, wow, like we've, we've come a long way and it's so cool that we get to do shit together. Dude, you know? the like, synergy is crazy. If you really yeah. step back and think of, I mean, even, um, I mean, you coming into, uh, sleeping with sirens in 2013 yep and then king for a day is just a probably not orchestrated by you but no it, I, I that that came that was like before me yeah or was i yeah it was before me but it all comes together when you join the band and then it just it suddenly the synergy kind of shows itself it's wild yeah. it's really really wild yeah. damn what, what what was your what was the feeling you had when you guys played when we were young and like obviously the scene, obviously the scene never died, but it was kind of like a little bit of a lull, you know, and mm -hmm. there wasn't much attention on it. Seeing that many fans watch you guys on stage freaking out, singing all your songs, was that like a, a pretty special moment to be, to just kind of be doing it at that scale again? Absolutely, man. Right? right? I mean, that's like, you, you walk off stage after those shows just going like, what the fuck just happened, you know? Yeah. In a really just like humbling way mm -hmm. like you just when you know going back to all of this like just starting in a in a bedroom and just playing local shows and never thinking that you would ever be able to legitimately tour and then suddenly you know down the road being able to do this at that level is it's very very mind-blowing people have such a love and devotion to to this music yeah. like that and it's so to have any you know, inspiration or play a role in anybody's lives in that way is just, that's, man. Yeah. I, I, why did it get buried for so long? Like what happened? Because it was, there was like that decade of like, let, let's just, let's just call it 2000, 2010. That was like the strong decade for yeah. the scene. And when Warp Pro was really popping and like, yeah. you know, I, what happened? Why, like what, 
Did, did did these bands just change their sound to, to get main? I'm making this up, by the way. Did they change their sound to become mainstream and it didn't work out? My my story I was sharing earlier about Drop Dead Gorgeous and they yep. they changed their sound. And their fans didn't dig it, but like, what exactly happened? What do you think happened? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know if it's also just a lot of a lot of music coming out, like uh, just it getting kind of watered down maybe by a lot of other artists. And then you introduce social media and now everyone has a band, everyone has a song and everyone like, I don't know if it just got too muddy, mm. but I don't even know if that's it. I don't know if, yeah. it, you know, I think that music also goes in cycles. So for True. a while, like emo and rock and all that was really it and then suddenly it wasn't edm was a huge actually that's so true and then like that took over and that became what everyone wanted to support and go see and it wasn't really bands anymore and like there's just been a lot of ups and downs with that but i guess that's just how i I find it interesting though that that alternative music is the only genre that the the name changes every 10 years it, yeah, it does. Classic rock, yeah. grunge. Yeah. You know, and mm. the, and it just, it, it recycles itself in a way, but it gets a new name. Whereas like, you're right. you go to hip hop and hip hop has been it's the same hip-hop. since 87, yeah. you know? Yeah, you're uh, right. And, and so I, I feel like a little bit of it coming back is people getting rid of the stigma of, I can't listen to the same music I listened to 20 years ago. Yep. Um, and just this culture shaking that stigma mm. off, I think... I'm hoping that this cycle is not a cycle in the same way, but we just kind of go, Hey, it's all, alt. you know, everything's emo adjacent. It's all alt rock. Like we don't, I don't know. That's kind of my read on this situation. I agree. I think that emo, like just using that term was for a long time, very negative. Like bands didn't want to be called that. You're like, no, like we're not an emo band. It's like not cool. Mm -hmm. And now, especially for us, we embrace it. Like, cool. If like, that's what you want to label us as like, that's awesome. Like can, whatever it is that like it, I mean, it's so hard to describe what genre of music you are nowadays anyways, but yeah, I, I was, yeah. I was going to ask you that about the word because we, we talk about this often and like, it, it's crazy how many fans, how it, the word emo is endearing to them. Yeah. Like they're not, it's not a negative thing at all because when we named our brand emo is not dead, it started off with my true love for the scene. I played in yeah. a band on warp tour. I, my, the first shows that I went to when I was 16, 17 was Emery and under oath and fallout boy. And so I'm so deep rooted in it. And I never, I loved call. I, I knew it by emo music. That's what I called it. It was never like I'm from Portland, Oregon. That word was never offensive or, or negative in that, in the scene. So that's how I named my brand. Emo is not dead. That's it. And so then we find out through that some people in the scene do take a, do take offense to it. Not many. Yeah. The yeah. 99% of the scene embraces it. Yeah. Um, but some people do take offense to it. And I always find that to be a little bit odd. And it's like, man, like you don't know, like you're, you're the one taking offense to it because it's endearing to all the fans. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's I, how I feel. I, I, just, I mean, every artist is different, right? So if an artist doesn't want to be labeled as that, like it is what it is, but I don't know. I, I, I don't find any offensiveness to it and it's a nostalgic word to me too. So when you bring up emo, I immediately think of MySpace. I think of the swoops. I think of picking your favorite song on to put on your MySpace on your, page. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, but see all of that, like that's fun. Like that's yes. cool. And like maybe some people are embarrassed by that, but like that's, it's all part of, 
this and how we came up and yeah. like it's okay that it, to embrace that true you know, it, it's, it's funny it's cool you can poke fun at yourself and yeah. be like, i'd look Ridiculous. interesting back yeah. then yeah, yeah. but yeah. like who cares like we all did so it's true. fine yeah in general the emo scene was more of a moment in time yeah and it's not it's not you're an emo band it's not that it's emo music because it falls under the umbrella of the time uh, yes of the emo scene myspace like oh man Thank you for not being offended by that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's oh. all good. We embrace it. So bringing it, bringing it back a little bit to Underminded yep. and that house, that room. I'm really curious about that house, the dynamic, the room. What what was it? Obviously, it was Mike's house and yep. he had the setup. Yeah. But what it was his parents' house? Yeah. And we just like raided it. Yeah. So what was the dynamic of that house that led to, I, th- I guess, three bands, you know, coming in and, and creating such awesome pieces of work. Um, I think we were, it was a lot of it is like luck with being surrounded by other musicians that wanted it just as bad. Mm -hmm. So from day one, like watching Vic write songs, play guitar and sing the way he did. I was like, I mean, think about it just gives me goosebumps. Mm -hmm. Like, there was nobody doing what he was doing at that time. You know, when we were in high school and he was doing that, like he was so ahead of the curve and it made me want to be better. So we are always motivating and inspiring each other. Cause then, you know, I would watch them rehearse. I would sit in, in Mike's bedroom on his bed and just like watch them play. And then in between songs, like go Vic, like, what was that chord? Like, what were you doing right there? Mm-hmm. And then he would show me and be, and then, same thing with us. So like mm. we'd be jamming, I'd be playing something heavy and Vic would go, what is that? How do you, how do you, what do you, what are you doing right there? So it was always this really, it was a great synergy of all of us wanting to see each other succeed. Maybe that's a big part of it too. You know, that's why we booked shows together because I wanted to see them crush too. And same vice versa. Vic was like our number one fan. And we would always, even if we weren't playing their show, we would still go and like, help set up and like help break down their shit. Like we were all working together to just have fun and yeah. make music. And I think that was like a great environment to be in and bless his parents. Like they were so cool with us just playing loud fucking music all of the time and being supportive of that and showing up to all the shows. And um, yeah, it just made us all better because we were constantly just motivating each other. And so they were the parents, the, the owners of the home were supportive. <laughs> super and supportive. Cool, yeah. Cool. And then it, and then it got super weird because it wasn't until after we started our bands together that, um, we realized that, uh, we were cousins. No way. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> we're second cousins. Yeah. We share a blood cousin. No way. Yeah. It, we were, um, uh, how did the parents not know that? And we, like, it, it didn't, it didn't click until, we brought it up to our parents. Um, we were, um, you know, the Fuentes would have these epic barbecues and Vic's dad just would cook up a bunch of carne asada and we would just eat tacos and grub and they would invite family over. And one day we were just all hanging, eating tacos and um, my aunt walks in. I go, what are you doing here? <laughs> and she looked at me, she goes, what are you doing here? And then we always kind of look at each other like, what's happening? And then we realized that um, that was Damn. also Mike and Vic's aunt as well. That's oh. crazy. <laughs> yeah. How does that change the dynamic after that? Um, I think it just made it funny. But it also maybe that 
looking back on it now, maybe it was just also the universe. You know what I mean? Just like kind of doing its thing. Like you guys were, you guys, you know, are relatives. You're starting music together. Like maybe there was something there. I don't know what, but I think, I mean, it didn't change anything. We were just, just made us all laugh and just carry on. Do you actually... I mean, we might go deep on this one. Do you actually believe in, in that universe, that, that, that uh, omnipresent force bringing people together, bringing things together? I think so, yeah. 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 I'm not a religious person at all, um, even though I grew up in a, going to private school my whole entire life. Um, I, I think that the universe does its thing. But I also I firmly believe in like, what you put out is what, what you get. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think if you are an optimistic person and you treat people right, it's it it makes sense that that comes back in a positive way as opposed to a negative. So I think you know I I guess in the terms of with Mike and Vic being my cousins, like that's just some some weird universal thing that happened because that's that's one in a quadrillion. Right. That 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 chance. Yeah, yeah. for real. So how long were you in private school? So kindergarten through eighth grade private school and then I went to private school my freshman and sophomore year did not did not do well there and then I went to a public school the last two years of high school got it yeah when you say you didn't do well there did you, were you like a were you like a badass kid no I troublemaker. Uh, no I wasn't a troublemaker I just wasn't I was not a good student I mm. didn't want I and I mean I guess uh, later on, like realizing things like there's probably maybe some ADD in there and things that, you know, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't concentrate. I, yeah. I, um, I just wasn't good at that. Bro. I wasn't good at homework. I wasn't good in class and like staying focused. And, but also the other part is that once I got into high school, all I thought about was music and being in a band. Mm -hmm. So that was where my brain was always just fixated on that. I was just ready to like get out of school, go home so I could play guitar mm -hmm. or just go to band practice. Like that's all I wanted to do. So, um, yeah, so private school was, was a little, a little tough, you know, and then it was a, a shock for me to go to public school because I went to public school in a not great area of San Diego, which made me like, like I had I had not grow up quick, but I mean, it you was kind of toughen up. I mean, huh? you're talking like gangs and yeah. violence and yeah. a lot of drugs and people bring guns and knives to school. Like it Shit. was, it was a very different experience, which like made me have to grow up a little bit mm -hmm. quicker. But I think actually really helped me a lot though too. Yep. And then uh, that kind of made me focus of like, I need to graduate high school. So yeah. fortunately graduated my senior year and then the next day I went on tour. That's Get crazy. me out yeah. of here. Bro. I was so ready. <laughs> it's funny so because ready. we have a very similar relationship with school. Private schooled, homeschooled, never good at school. Yep. I just passed. I was like yeah, a guy who was just it. passed. Yeah. And I, I was a C guy. I was like C, C minus. Same dude. Hopefully it... In that I was a C. I think I got a couple B's in um, in classes that I can be a little bit more myself in, or, or you know something like that. But I remember um, going to public school for my first time in ninth grade, and it was same same with you said. There are cliques, there's gangs, there's people will bring night. Like it was a public school, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'll never forget that as in, as intimidating as it was. I'm so glad that I that I did that. 
Absolutely. And, and I'm going to have, however I want to protect my kids up until then, my kids need to eventually go to public school as well. Yeah. You have to be exposed to that. Absolutely. If you're not, if you're not and you're sheltered and you get out of high and you get out of a private school and you graduate and you don't, you don't really get to experience what the real world actually is. Yeah. So I, it's, we have a very, very similar experience there. Yeah. Very, very true. And I mean, but also private school in high school was eye opening for me too. Like that was the first time I'm seeing like people do coke and like crushing up Vicodin and snorting it out of Bibles, like in class. <laughs> and, and I'm going like, where am Like, what is happening? This is crazy. You know? And so it, and then going to public school where like meth at the time was super popular. So I would just see a lot of people just literally going to the car to smoke meth and come into class. And like, I saw a lot of crazy, crazy stuff, Damn. crazy stuff, like exposed to a whole lot, Yeah, you know, but but also like it was important. It's like, important I know to it was, see. Like, crazy as that is, and like seeing that shit, yeah. like it was, it was really important. It was also eye opening for me. And fortunately, seeing all of that, like I didn't want to take that road. I was like, music has to be like it for me. Like I know that that was keeping me on the straight and narrow because mm-hmm. that's all I wanted to do. And I, I can't play guitar or write music if I'm just fucked up and yeah. partying all day. So that like you know it again. Like I found the silver lining and all that yeah. and stayed positive and optimistic through it somehow. Yeah. Just to close the loop on this, what ended undermined What, what closed that loop? Um, so uh, I think it was Oh six or Oh seven. Uh, we had just come out with our, the last record we did 11, 11. And I think it was about two weeks after the album came out. Uh, Craig Owens from Chiodos had hit me up on MySpace, mm-hmm. and he said, yo dude, just heard your record. Like, this is insane. Like, I want to fly you out to Kentucky to do guest vocals on some Chioda songs. Um, and at the time, it was very, again, the universe. Like, there was maybe serendipitous that I was starting to feel like within the band dynamic and undermined it that I wasn't happy because I felt like I felt like I was the one that was kind of driving everything. And I was burnt out on that. Mm-hmm. Like, and I felt like I wasn't really surrounded by people that wanted to push as hard as I was. And at the time I do have to also acknowledge that maybe I wasn't like the best dude to be around either. Cause like that turned me into a dick and I felt like I was, you know, having to tell people what to do. And I didn't want to do that anymore. I was over it. Um, so we had played a show at the showcase theater in Corona and right before we went on stage, I just told the dudes like, I just need to take a long break after this show. Like I'm done. And, um, we played our last song on stage. I remember I just started crying like on, oh. like right when I finished, like I think there's a photo somewhere, but I was just literally just crying because I felt like maybe I was letting the others down. I was letting people down. Like, I was quitting and not like seeing something through and, um, but there was something in my heart that just said like, dude, you've got to like, you just got to try something else. And fortunately, um, it was at a time where I was starting to do stuff with Chiodos. And so I went to Kentucky and was on Bone Palace Ballet and suddenly I'm on just tour with them as like kind of like a, a vibe guy, but also kind of guitar teching, even though I was terrible at it. And, um, 
that was just like this, like the next like chapter for me after wow. finishing with Underminded. So from Underminded straight to those features on that Chiodos record. Yeah, it was during, so we were still doing Underminded stuff. And then once I got exposed to this, I guess what it was for me is that when I went to do vocals on Bone Palace Ballet, suddenly I see a band full of insane musicians. Like everyone is so talented and everyone is playing their role. And I, I had just one of those moments of like, I don't have to be in a band where maybe some people aren't, aren't wanting to do more. Like these guys mm -hmm. are a perfect example of they're, they all give a shit. Right. And, um, so it was nice to be surrounded by a bunch of dudes that I was like very inspired by all the time, like watching them perform and how they worked, you know, and they had their own obviously like interpersonal problems and issues and stuff, but just watching their musicianship and how they, how they were on tour and watching them on warp tour and all that. I was like, dude, like I, I, I just want to do bigger things. Yeah. Cool. Did that. So is that what led to drugs? Yeah. So I toured with Chiodos a bit when they were on the road. I would just most of the time just kind of go out with them and um, had some like big moments with them. Like that was the first time I'd been on um, main stage or warp tour, like doing vocals with so, them. So, like, so let me ask you this. So when you would tour, when when you would tour with Chiodos, you weren't officially in their band. No. You were touring and hanging. You oh, were friends with the guys, guy. but yeah. you would hop up on stage and you would scream some stuff. You would sing some stuff and you yep. just kind of, okay. That was it. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and I think at the time, like Craig and I were becoming very close. So I think he, you know, he appreciated having someone on tour that he could just like hang with. Mm -hmm. Like I said, within the band, there was a lot of stuff going on. So um, it was cool just to, that was the first time I was on a tour bus. It's the first time I got to be on main stage at Warp Tour. And it was um it was all really, really cool. And then I got to they they did a small little run with Lincoln Park at the time and I got to go to the forum in LA and do vocals there and oh, just be sick. like, This is so Huge. cool. You know, like there's those kind of moments where it just motivates the hell out of me. Where mm -hmm. I'm like, I fuck, I wanna do this. You yeah. know? Um and so that, yeah, so I was with Chiodos, but then we started um, other projects while he was still in Chiodos. So that was when... Cinematic Sunrise. I would start playing in Cinematic Sunrise. Um, and you started playing in, or you guys started that? They had already started it, and I then, okay. which actually, weird enough, Vic was in, but then Vic was so busy with his band that I just kind of took over the guitar portion of where he was at and just, and I started playing cinematic sunrise. So we did some touring. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and then we started Isles and glaciers with Vic this time with Vic this time. And that yeah. was you Vic. And then who else was in that? Uh, Johnny Craig, Johnny Craig. Okay. Um, and then holy shit, Matt who played bass in Chiodos, uh, Brian Southall, who was in the receiving end of sirens who's now like a big, he's a big time tour manager. Got it. Still a great friend. Um, who else was in the band? I'm missing people. Vic, Johnny Craig, Mike, Mike was on drums. Mike was on drums. Yeah. Wow. Just a power. I mean, I remember, yeah. I remember pirating those radio leaks. Damn you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I had them on my iPod video for so long. And yeah. then, uh, 
like four years later they come out. Yeah. It seemed like forever. It, yeah, that was a that was a weird time. I don't even know what year that was. I think it came out in 2012. Oh, man. We recorded all that in 10 days. We didn't even have all the songs. Like, we wrote and did a lot of stuff in the studio. Yeah. But, yeah, one day Craig was like, hey, um, get with Brian Southall, who I had never met before. And we would, and he was like, um, let's start a side project and do some songs. I'll get, um, at the time, Rise Records was going to put it out. And so... Um, they sent us to Seattle and we all got together for 10 days and put together this EP and we just, it was a very wild 10 days. But again, seeing like how talented people were, it was crazy to be in rooms with those mm. dudes and see how they operate, you know? Dude, it's, it was weird. You said Johnny Craig and I haven't heard that name in so long. Yeah. And when I was on a warp tour, uh, what year did you do warp tour? I did warp tour in... 2009, 10, 11, 12. Okay. And he was, he had a moment before then, but he was still Johnny Craig. Yeah. And I knew of him from before then. And um, what was his, what was his band? Amorosa. Amorosa. That's right. Okay, yeah. cool. And I remember like he was such a name back then and I ended up meeting him, meeting him on a warp tour. And uh, what I was just, your experience? Like, you know what? He was, he was actually, he was actually really nice. Oh, cool. He was really nice. Um, but I remember like I had heard, you know, rumors of him not being the best band guy to tour with or best person to play with. And I think drugs got involved, not the, ba- you know, yeah. actual, <laughs> yeah, actual, actual drugs. drugs got involved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I definitely felt the vibes of him being a bit like dude yeah. who loves drugs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I was a firework at his, at his head once on at a show. Did, did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Should, I mean, it was a bottle rocket after on a purpose show. Or, or what? It was on purpose. It was not. <laughs> wow. I, I, I hope he's in did, did you place. have some beef? Um, no, he was just talking to a girl that I, I was talking, I was there with. Okay, got it. And I'm like, gotcha. so bottle rocket to the dome. And I turned around. I was such a <laughs> pussy, dude. I turned around to act like it wasn't me. <laughs> oh my God, dude. <laughs> um, no, but back to Johnny Craig. So, I mean, where is he? Is did he interesting enough? I saw him not very long ago. I've seen him post pandemic. We were on tour in Sacramento. This was over a year, year and a half ago. I can't I remember. Mean, that's not long ago at all. No. But I was randomly in a thrift store with um, a couple of our dudes, and all of a sudden, this dude just taps me on the shoulder. I turn around. It was Johnny. And, he, no and, he, and, and honestly, he looked great. Yeah. It was awesome, like catching up with him. I think he ended up coming out to the show that night too. Well, um, but I, I'm not sure if he's still yeah, I've doing. Seen, I've seen some interviews recently. He, he's kind of making his rounds again. He's kind of, you know, um, talking about some of the troubles he had uh, towards the end there and, and just trying to be a better person is what it seems like he's at now, Got which it. is cool. I will say like when we did Isles and Glaciers, I, I tell the story to a lot of people that ask about it, but we were on such crazy time schedules when we were doing that record. So we were spending literally 18 hours in a studio and then, you know, like two or three in the morning would come around and we'd be like, we should get some vocals down. And, you know, we were all partying, drinking, whatever was going on. And Johnny would be, you know, he'd be pretty inebriated and we'd be like, you think he could do some vocals right now? And he'd be like, let's go, let's do it. And you, you put him in the vocal booth and he would one take everything. It was incredible. Like, I, yeah. I, I'd never seen somebody with that kind of voice who could just go into a vocal booth and nail whatever we told him to do. It was, fun, it was like really phenomenal yeah. to watch. I mean, yeah. you, you can't deny his talent. Yeah. So, you, so you can't because 
when I looked up to band guys back then, his vocals were just so good. He's so such a beautiful singer. He's got he's got a very a, he's beautiful, got a beautiful voice. voice. Yeah, he does. It's crazy. And he has that hip hop thing, R and B thing to his to his voice, and he has like soul. Yeah, yeah. that's what that's what I always like pulled from. Like any time that we work together, I was like, God, he just has soul. He has soul. Yeah. Hey, boys, sorry to interrupt your podcast, but I have some exciting cruise news. The E&D Cruise Year 2 is completely sold out. However, we do have a cruise cabin for two that we will be giving away to one lucky YouTube subscriber. Just make sure you're subscribed to our channel, like our videos, and let's see you in the comments. We're going to scroll through the comments and pick one of you guys to give a cruise to. That's all the news I have for today. Have a great show, guys. Um, so, so yeah, you, you, you form drugs. Yep. Give me a little background on how drugs comes about. <laughs> Rowdy. Um, so, um, I was with Craig. This is how I remember it. Um, is I was with him. We were working on music maybe like, Oh, you know, I was doing a lot of solo shows with him. Like he would do a lot of acoustic stuff and it would just be me and him or me, him and Brian Southall who was in aisles. And, um, he just got the call one day that um, Chiodos was going to move on without him. And he, um, he just, in that moment, you know, it was, it was a shock to him, but he was like, let's start writing music for another band. I was like, cool, let's start writing music. And man, I don't know how the timeline is. Again, you'd have to like talk to him or maybe, someone else from that time but i'm pretty sure that we essentially started a band with no name and uh pete wentz was totally interested and on board to help us so suddenly we had pete like within a week or two after that announcement of him not being in chiodos and suddenly we were being managed by him and crush management and then shortly after, Warner Brothers gave us a record deal, and we were gonna go work with John Feldman. And it was like we have, and we had nothing. We had no music. We Holy had, shit! We had nothing, um, except for um, some talented dudes. Yeah. Well, it was just me and him, um, and we started trying to figure out who we'd want in this band. Um, while we were trying to. F- formulate what the hell we're doing and so i think i'm pretty sure that aaron stern from matchbook romance was the first member in who was a drummer and then um we started trying to figure out who else was going to play guitar and we had met with the guy who was playing in seosin and um Bo? um what was it Bo? no the other one the oh, other guy the i forgot one. his name yeah. i forgot his name uh, but he turned it down, and then we were actually really wanting uh, the guitar player from Warring Drive at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't want to do it, and then we called Matt Good from From First to Last. And what's funny is that I toured with Matt Good in 2004 on Warp Tour, and that was the year that From First to Last broke out. Same with Under Oath. That mm-hmm. was when Only Chasing Safety came out, and literally, it came out that summer, I think. And within like the first two weeks they had outgrown the stage and they were like causing so much chaos every day because it was just so out of control. Same from first to last. That was like the summer that they exploded. And, um, I, I did not get along with Matt good, hated him. Like him and I, 
he was such a, a dick. And I was like, as soon as his name came up about maybe coming into drugs, I immediately was like, dude, he's, he sucks. Like, I don't <laughs> like his attitude. Great guitar player. And then, um, he came and we just, it, enough time had gone on and we had all both grown up and he was like the, he became like a brother to me. And so did he ever say sorry? Yeah. He was like, I was a total dick, man. <laughs> I, I suck that summer. Blah, blah, blah. Like we, we just laugh about it now. I um, mean, yeah. the, the thing is, man, we, we all, we all grow up. You know yeah. what I'm saying? There's yeah. like, we're all young. We like, yeah. we were all kids back in the scene, like actual yeah. kids. We all grow up and there, we all have that time and they were really young. I mean, and Sonny was in the band at the time and he was, I think he was like 15 or 16 years old. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they were just, they he literally he, he could literally be like our, our kid. For, yeah. Like think about how young, back, like <laughs> yeah. just our, our kids. Uh, yeah, damn, dude. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's how drugs, um, came to be, you know, like we just, we got in a room with Feldman and then, then we got Adam, uh, Russell from story of the year. He played bass and like, that was it. Like we just, we, it, I look back on that time and it, everything just was going a million miles an hour. Right. Like it, everything went so fast. Like suddenly we were putting out a record on Warner brothers into cadence and we had Pete involved. And there was a moment that Pete was initially was going to play bass in our band because fallout boy at the time was taking a break. And like my brain, like at that time could not wrap my head around what was, happening like it was this huge thing was, and, yeah it's big and then like right out the gate you know we announced our first shows and we sold them out immediately and then we headlined i think our first like main big tour was the ap tour and we headlined that and we're selling out all these shows and like it was just everything took off so fast and everybody I remember hated those moments. Us. no i remember those moments because when drugs was announced and it was such a super group any fan of the scene was like holy shit like couldn't wait for it. Like drug, like yeah. drugs became in a weird way a bigger name than even the material that was out. Like yeah, you absolutely. said, like like the yeah. name alone was like I don't care what their songs are gonna sound like. Yeah. Like we like, <laughs> yeah. we I'm just in. we just know I'm in. It's it's all these legends. Yeah, it's funny though because within the scene we weren't well liked. There's a lot of people that didn't that were not on board with us. Why is know? that? Um, I think it it was just this. I don't know if it was like maybe some MV from I was other say artists and jealousy stuff. Jealousy, probably. You know, and a lot yeah. of it I laughed about. You know, some of it I've I've written about as well. Um, but I remember the singer from The Blood, who I I, I love, love The Blood, man. I like tour with them in '04 and played other shows when I was in Underminded. So I was a massive uh, Blood fan, and the singer went on Twitter, and he, it was actually really funny. Um, he was like, "What does drugs stand for?" doesn't really understand good songwriting. Oh and I was like, God. man, I couldn't help but laugh. And, um, <laughs> what are, damn, I think it was an envy thing. Yeah. I think that you put, you put these legendary band guys together. It becomes successful immediately. You guys didn't have to We're on the cover of AP. Like everything, I, like I said, everything saying. took off so fast. And then like, and they're like, now they're working with John Feldman and you and guys Pete are selling, and Pete Wentz is involved. And now you guys are selling out shows. It's an envy thing. It has to be. Yeah. And uh, honestly, we didn't we didn't care. Like We were having so much fun. So yeah. it's like, whatever. If people want to hate, it's all good. And from your vantage point at this time, you're probably, you're eight years removed, if my timeline is correct, eight years removed from being the front man. Yeah. Now you're fully transitioned into supporting role. Yeah. How does that feel? If It felt great. I think that I needed that. And even to this day, like, I enjoy that. 
And I'm okay with that. I think that um, I've definitely seen in band dynamics that it's, it's hard sometimes for band members to see how much um, notoriety the singer always gets. Whereas for me, like I, especially in Sirens, um, I, I love building this like foundation for Kellen to just like soar over and like that feels good. Cause mm -hmm. I think it, it's about, it's about a team effort. It doesn't matter who gets the most followers or who people are most like drawn to. Like it's all, it's all a group effort. And, but, and I appreciated finally kind of taking the back seat because also like I've kind of been saying before, I was just soaking everything up. Like suddenly I'm working with John Feldman. And so I'm in the studio and I'm with Matt Good and Brandon Paddock was our engineer at the time. And he's gone on to do insane shit. And I'm just like learning. And like that felt good. I liked not being the smartest person in the room. Mm. I liked going to the room knowing I had to just learn and just like soak everything up. Mm -hmm. And that was always a really great thing about touring with Chiodos and being in all these different projects is I just, I'm just like a sponge and just soaking all of this in. And that's, that's invaluable to me. So there's, there, there was nothing that hurt my ego with like not being the front man anymore. Yeah, it was all about it. it. It was fine. So I have, um, I toured in a band, as I, as I said, for about four years. Uh, we played Canada, the UK, Warp Tour. So I've done the whole grind. Yep. And um, you were in the It Boys? I was in It Boys nice. back in the day. Yes. yes. I know, I know that voice. Okay. Hell yeah. 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 Oh, we, no. I know. I can't wait. Yeah. Actually, let's start with this. What do you think about them? Uh, so, okay. What, I will what, say. What did I, you know about? Like, I want to hear your take on I it. I mean, is it safe to say you guys are, it was like a, it was like a group of like pretty dudes. Yeah. You guys were like good looking dudes. Yeah. The term yeah. is industry plant. In <laughs> <laughs> I'm stoked to hear to hear this. Keep going. Um, I don't know if I remember necessarily the music. I just remember the the band name and knowing that it was a bunch of like really good looking dudes in the group. That that much I remember. I do remember you guys being on Warp Tour. Yeah, but I just don't know if I ever saw it, but I remember just like it boys being on Warp Tour. Yeah, that's like my that's it, my only dude. It, it's it's. I love that you knew that. And I kind of want to pull it up now because yeah, no, I want to see. <laughs> no, I what, what's, see. what's funny is I, so I started that band with um, two of the guys who got me into the emo scene in general. They were in okay. a band called Reclaim the Fallen. They were two of my best friends, okay. Judah and Duck Leary. Okay. They, after Reclaim back in, oh my God, this is probably 2000 and, 2001? Back in the day, in like 2001 or 2002, uh, they uh, Duck joined. Oh yeah, you guys are you guys are hot. Oh thanks, dude. Hot boys. <laughs> uh, Duck joined Drop Dead Gorgeous, and then okay. and then Judah also joined them and played guitar for them for some tours. So they've always kind of been around the scene and playing. Uh, they were higher ons for like a lot of different bands and whatnot. Yeah, they're both great musicians, and so um, I knew that they they got me into the into the scene that I fell in love with, and they were the guys I want to start a band with. So I reached out to Ju to Duck and Judah. I was like, Yo, I was like, We gotta start a band. And we were coming up with different names and I was like, but you guys got to move to LA cause that's where you got to be. Right. In my yeah. mind, I'm like, we got to be there to meet the right producers and to network and whatever. Yeah. And, and the name came up because we were like, I want to do something kind of, I want to do something different. I want to do something that's going to be like, what is, what's the, what's the name? Like, what is it? Yeah. And I was like, I, I want to bridge the gap between 
scene music, but feature like big rappers. And I want them to be able to rap and say our name easily. Like these are the conversations we were having on trying to polish and make a product. Yeah. Like we yeah. were making a product and Industry then we were like, we for real. <laughs> and then we were like, what about like, um, and we were just coming up with all these names and somehow, I don't even know who threw in it boys. And then someone said that and I was like, I was like, yeah, what if Kanye goes, and I'm chilling with the It Boys. I was like, that sounds kind of dope. I was like, let's just do that. <laughs> and we stuck with it. Honestly, and we I, with- I, I kind of respect it, like the thought process of like viewing it almost as like a brand and like what rolls off the tongue. And like you were like, I don't know. I think that's great to think about that stuff. I appreciate that. Yeah. And like it was, it, it, it was an overall concept of making us a polished band. And we're like, let's be like the edgier Jonas Brothers where we're playing the song, where, where we're writing songs that feel like we came from the scene, yep. but they're they're a little bit more polished and Jonas Brothersy. So th- so we were we were in in our way like let's just try something new. That's and cool. It did. I mean, our one song had some success. Our song called "Guys Don't Like Me" had had some success, and we had some. We we played Warped for a few years. We we collected a bit of a fan base, but it was looking back now. There's so much I would have done differently. Of course. So, yeah. Always so much. <laughs> call it it men. Maybe. It men, it yeah. Men. Let's call it it men. Um, have you guys ever thought about reunion? You know, it's funny. Well, no, but now that I have the E and D cruise, yeah. we've joked about having us play just like a short set on the dude, cruise. Just, you should. just for fun. You should. I mean, yeah, dude, I just saw like over 200,000 monthly listeners. Yeah. It's from guys don't like me. That song. Oh, dude, that's um, amazing. Still getting played. Bro, dude, that's a lot of monthly listeners, bro. bro. For, for, that, for that band to not be a band since 2011 or 12, I'm shocked every time I look at it. And my, my oh, drummer, wolf. Duck, would always be like, dude, we're still getting streams. And that song just kind of caught fire and it kept going. That's got to feel good, though. It feels that's good. That's awesome. It feels that's good. Really, really cool. It feels good because I did, you know, we did create something that stuck and that made that it did something, which is, which is really fun. Um, but anyway, my back to me touring my, one of my horror stories of touring and I want to get to yours oh, is we, we had a van that did not, had no heat and it had like a busted, oh, yes. it had like a busted floorboard and we toured the winter in Canada and we toured with Jeffree Star. It was a uh, Jeffree Star and oddly enough, they paired us with Dev from the Cataracts. Remember the song, like a G6? That pop song, like uh, a G6, yeah. like a yeah. G6, yeah. huge song. I don't know why, but she kind of branched off and wanted to do her own thing. So they threw her on a tour with It Boys and Jeffree Star. Weird freaking tour. Fun, yeah. fun tour. That's a MySpace tour. Bro, that yes. Is a, yes. Actually, <laughs> yes. no, that's why it was a MySpace tour because we we were getting some plays on MySpace. Jeffree Star was the king, king. of MySpace. Yeah. Yeah. And then her song was a pop culture moment. So they, they paired us on this tour. But anyway... We toured the dead of winter in a van with no heat and a busted floorboard. And it was legit frozen in our van to where we would, when we would like drive our van, we'd all like wear, like put on sleeping bags and zip up in like those negative zero type. And still be cold. And still be cold. Yeah. I remember fall, like two guys would always sleep in the van if we got a hotel to kind of protect us from getting broken into, you know, the whole thing. And so I'll never forget, I woke up and there was a freaking, uh, I went to grab, like to grab my bottle of water and I'm shaking. I grab my water and it's just frozen. Frozen. And I'm like, I'm like, man. Being in a band fucking sucks. But then you play the shows and you're like, this is the best it's thing in great. the world. Yeah. And so my question to you is that was that was one of my most painful moments being in a band was actually freezing all the time and constantly being cold, having no money. Like that was just it was pretty shitty. 
What what oh, were yeah. some of your exper- like experiences like that that you remember that you're like that sucked? I mean, it's just very similar. I mean, in Underminded, we went through so many different vans. Um, our first van we called Green Lightning. It was this old van that had shag carpet, but nothing. The AC didn't work. The odometer didn't work. This uh the speedometer didn't work. You never knew how fast you were going. You also, oh, and the gas gauge didn't work. So you never oh, knew how damn. much gas you oh, had. That's the rough one. Yeah. And we would tour around the States with that. We would have a Ram McNally map because this is before MapQuest yep. and, and having cell phones. Um, it's just a straight up map. You couldn't print, it's you couldn't print out MapQuest. No, it, uh, that, that came into play at some point in Undermind, but then it, it was terrible like printing out map quests from venue to venue because it it didn't know when roads were shut down, when freeways um, weren't available to use. Like it was a nightmare. Um, but actually same thing as Canadian tours. Like we would tour, that was like a place where Underminded did fairly well was in Canada. And I remember to this day, it's probably the coldest I've ever been was in a, a little city called Medicine Hat which is very northern Canada. And I remember just literally you'd walk out of the van and your nose hairs would immediately freeze and you would just go stiff like, and you would just seize up because it, your body does not handle negative, it was like negative 30, negative 40 degrees or something. Ooh. And you'd go play a, a hot, sweaty show and then walk outside and immediately your froze would uh, your clothes would just freeze immediately Ooh. and i just again yeah and then you'd have to um put a special in canada they do this where you have to plug in something that goes into like your uh like the dipstick of the of the van so that it doesn't it doesn't freeze mm-hmm. overnight it was just always it was so it took a lot to stay on the road <sighs> dude it was I, bro so, i get it was, that it was exhausting, but you know what? I also look back on all those times and like that was a lot of fun too. Yeah, it, it was, was a lot of fun just figuring it out, and especially my first warp tour in '04. Uh, we were building the smart punk stage. It was the first year they had it, and we were doing it in a van and opening up every single day. And just this van was just disgusting because you'd yeah. have to s- sleep in it. And we'd have to alternate taking naps because we'd been driving all night, but then we'd have to play a show. Um, and it was so hard. We called it the lion's den where we took out one of the rows in the back and it was just this, mm-hmm. the smelliest, grossest place to ever be in. And I... And you're a pretty clean guy too. I'm a very clean I guy. I can tell. Yeah, yeah. I had the... I Same. It was... When I first... I had to get used to it. Yeah. It was rough for me to not shower, yeah. play a sweaty show, and just like do like a little wipe up if I could with like whatever wipes I would use. And then our van would stink. Not every single guy was like the cleanest. Some guys just didn't care. My my bros who are used to touring, and it was rough. And a lot. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize how it's it's rough being in an up and coming band. It's yeah. It's really and freaking sh- yeah. And you're sharing a space with a lot, like literally inches with everybody. Mm-hmm. I remember one tour we had um, an old buddy of mine. I won't name his name, but he was driving us and he was kind of a unhealthy dude. He was a guy that would put extra mayo on everything and then dip everything that he had in more mayo. Just a really, just really gross. Yeah. (laughs) 
He's always secreting very gross things. Okay, yeah. And he, um, I remember he had really big plugs and um, he wouldn't shower. He wouldn't take care of himself. And I remember one day we were in the van and he was driving and I was sitting in the very back of the van and we had the windows down. It was a warm day. And suddenly I'm smelling something like something smells rotten. What is that? It's his fucking plugs. He pulled his plugs out and he was swishing them around in his mouth to clean them and then put them back in his fucking ear. I still to this day can't describe that smell where it, it was, it like, it like stings. It was, it smelled like death. Like if I I don't, I don't know exactly what death smells like, but but this might be it. And he would swish them in his mouth and we were all in the van dry heaving. I'm going, what am I doing out here? What am yeah, I, what why am doing? I on tour? I can't Bro, do this. Yeah. Did you guys the, ever tell him how disgusting that was? Ab- absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. He had to stop touring with us. I couldn't do it. That's the nastiest thing I think I've ever heard. Oh my God. That's and, and, ra- and again, this is like, And again, this is a dude that hasn't showered in a couple of days, has been sweating nonstop and already smells very interesting. Yeah. And he just pops his plugs out and he's swishing them around in his mouth and puts them back in that's my stomach is my my stomach is turning right now what a great answer to that question great answer okay yeah whoa Um, okay where do we go from there (laughs) wrap it up no i'm gonna say i I, i'm i'm a timeline guy so we got you in drugs great yep yep and i need to know the transition from drugs to sleeping with sirens and the context of me wanting to know this is as a fan, yep, so confusing to go from undermined to hear you on Chiodos, hear about cinematic sunrise. Yeah, I confused a lot. Isles and glaciers. I like at this yeah. point trying to follow you. I was like, it was hard. Yeah, and absolutely. So, so when sleeping with sirens comes around, and um, you know, I'm familiar with sleeping yep. at that time, and I'm like, oh shit, Nick is going. How did that transition happen? Why did you leave drugs? And then what? What brought you to sleeping? Um. <laughs> Oh, uh, where do I start? So, um, one day it w- this was coming on towards the end of drugs for some of us. Um, we were in the studio and we were all pretty burnt on our situation. Um, Adam from story of the year had, had left and we had a new bass player and, um, like we were still having, uh, no, I'm not gonna, no, we, we were not having fun. We were pretty miserable. And we were in the studio recording uh, something for Pop Goes Punk, I think. And um, it was just me, Matt Good, and Aaron Stern, and the producer at the time who also was in Cinematic Sunrise. And we were just working on this song, and there was just like this moment where we just all looked at each other in the studio, quite literally, and we all knew exactly what everyone was thinking. Mm. And we just said, I want to go home. Like I I don't want to do this anymore. So... We literally went to the airport um, the following morning and um, we text Craig that we were um, departing the band and like we put out a press release and I just like disappeared like we all did. Um, I reached a point where I didn't want to do music anymore. I didn't want to be on a stage. I didn't want to be in a studio. I didn't even want to pick up a guitar. I was Mm. so... I was so burnt Mm -hmm. Um, and I just wanted to do anything else. So I essentially just hung it all up. I was like, I'm I'm done with this and ended up starting a screen printing business in San Diego with a buddy of mine. 
and we literally started in a garage. It was like it was like starting a band. It was I literally went to Seattle and took um some courses like a like a four day crash course on screen printing at Ryanette. Ryanette. I've been there. I've done yep. that same course. Yep, yep, yep. And we just got like a a four screen manual print press and like a little dryer and I was like, I'm just going to start printing band merch. I know enough bands now. Like, I'm just going to start my own printing business. I'm going to beat every competitor's price. Sick angle. And, like, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I literally started this with my buddy, and then we realized that, um, like, the school districts, like, they order so much merch all the time that we, like, capitalize on that. And then I made friends with a bunch of craft breweries, and we were printing all their merch. So I just got into a completely different realm of of work. I call that uninspired merch. Yes. Yes, it is very uninspired. And, um, I loved it. It was just a way to be creative still. Like it was this really cool process of doing something from beginning to end, you know, like making screens and the art and making these shirts. And it was just something completely different. And, um, I was doing that for right about like a year, year and a half, maybe my timeline could be a little askewed with that. And, I randomly got a text from Kellen. We weren't friends. I don't even know if we would, I would even say acquaintances kind of like I, I knew them because our tour manager and our merch guy from drugs were tour managing and doing merch for sirens. Um, and at the time, uh, their guitar player was having a baby and they needed someone to fill in and they had just come out with feel and, Kellum was like, hey, I don't know if you're still doing music, um, but we had this Europe UK tour booked and looking for someone to fill in for the tour. And at the time it was, again, the universe, serendipitous, I don't know what it was, but I was feeling burnt from printing merch because I was working like 15, 16 hour days and it was me and just like one or two other people. You were front man again. I was front man, yes. I never even thought of that. And I burned myself out. I was like, I need, I'm actually in need of a vacation. This sounds great. Like paid vacation to go to Europe, UK, get back on stage. Like, okay. Like I was more looking forward to like going to Europe and UK again and like just enjoying my time doing that. And, um, so I had never really listened to sirens much. I actually didn't know any of their songs. Um, but they were big fans of everything I'd done. They were big fans of Underminded. They were big fans of drugs. Like So they knew my my reputation and the things I've done. Um, and the tour manager at the time had hyped me up and was like, you should get Nick to fill in. He'll learn all these songs super quick. Like He's great for this. Um, so flew out to Nashville, learned their set. Um, and I still to this day, I credit Kellen so much that like literally I think the first song we played was if you can't hang and I remember after we finished the song everyone like looked at me and they were like this dude's got it like he the song hasn't sounded that tight in a couple of years and um but it was also a moment where I was like wow I really miss this mm. I was like I my fire was reignited that moment I was like wow I miss playing music like mm -hmm. I miss playing guitar I miss being in in a band and it, um, it just, it clicked for us. And we, uh, went on that tour. I remember that first show, I think we were in 
Germany somewhere maybe. And I guess I also didn't realize how popular Sirens was. So we're on this tour and there's these huge shows, like a couple thousand people every night. Like, man, you guys are, you guys are doing great things here. And, um, yeah, I just started playing with them. And like, I think it was a weekend of tour. Um, they, they're like, Hey dude, can you come to the, to the back lounge of the bus? We just need to talk to you. And I immediately thought, I was like, they're going to send me home or maybe they're not stoked on everything. Like this is not good. And, um, they're like, so do you want to come on the U S tour after this? I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And I just started touring with them nonstop from there. And then, um, the merch business kind of, I, I, I left that because sirens was now taking up my time and that's like where I was feeling passionate. And I also wasn't stoked on some people that were at the merch spot. So it just, it worked out. I've just been with them ever since. So what was it about the music industry that you got burnt out on with drugs? Was it ego? Is it, is it one of those things or is it just the playing? Is it the schedule? No, it wasn't really that. It wasn't the, the, the regimen. I, I firmly believe, and this was something that was important for me going into sirens that I had to really like have conviction about was if there's, if there's one person that I can't like be around someone that's like affecting my everyday mood and you know what I love to do if someone's like trying to chip away at that and take that away from me I just won't do it Mm. um and that was kind of what was happening um in my previous situation it's just uh, there was there were certain individuals that I was around that weren't um positive influences for me and I just I was, I had reached like my unhealthiest I had ever reached in my life. You know, I was like, I was obese and I was partying a lot and just treating my body like crap. And it was just because I was depressed. I just Mm. wasn't happy Mm -hmm. because of the kind of people I was surrounded by or the situation I was in. So, um, that was just a promise that I made to myself if I was going to do this again. And, um, fortunately, you know, again, I was surrounded by people that were just as motivated and driven as I was. And that's, that was, that was it. That, that, Damn. that made a world of difference for me joining sirens. Got it. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. Damn. Damn. That's it. And I mean, to start so many bands <laughs> yeah, and like put your, put, because each band is a brand, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and each record that you're writing and you're recording, you know, it it's got to feel like you're just starting over, over and over and over again. Yeah. Is that what it felt like to you? It kind of, yeah. It was just, and then, I don't know, there was, I think there was a lot of uh, feelings of feeling like maybe I wasn't good enough to do this anymore. And mm. I was starting to feel that when Damn. I was in drugs. like Some imposter syndrome? Yeah, absolutely. And mm. I still suffer from imposter syndrome all the time. Yeah, I shouldn't no be No way. <laughs> yeah, like, like my wife all the time is like, you got to like, you should be proud of like what you've done. And like I am, but I guess sometimes I still, mm. it's hard for me to believe sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and like, and cause I'm always, I'm always saying like, I'm just like this dude and yeah. like, I'm this 40 year old dude who's been doing this forever. And like, but it's like, it's cool. And like, I, I, I have to like pat yeah. myself on the back and Hey, therapy has been great too. Yeah. It's really help. helped me like, ah, okay. A different perspective on it, you know. Yeah. I was gonna say, when you start to get down on yourself, you have to just get on stage and look at the people singing your songs, and like, yeah. And then you're like, yeah. maybe I'm all right. Yeah, <laughs> you know? like, so, okay, like, okay, this is okay. 
I, I think we are our own worst critics, right? Like we're we are. Always, we're always going to be the hardest on ourselves and anybody else. Yeah. Um, we're also going to get sick of it the fastest. Absolutely. Like Same thing. Yeah. We're going to be the first ones to be like, this is, oh, I'm so bored of it. And everyone else yeah. is just eating it up. Yeah. And it's like that with writing a song. There's just a point where if you listen to something long enough, like we're in the studio and we're listening to the same riff over and over, or the same chorus over and over. There's just a point where you burn yourself out, and you're like, "Is this even good anymore? Like, yeah. do we suck? Like, yeah, this sucks." Dude, you know? the thing is, man, it's the way of art. It will always be like that. Yeah, there will be years that are your greatest years of writing or performing or or acting or whatever, and then there will be just a couple of years where you're like, "I'm just not feeling it." It just it, yeah. it comes and goes in waves. Yeah. So I guess on that note. Like what's, what's next for you? What, what's your dream? What's like, what else, what else do you want to be doing? I feel like, um, we get asked this a lot, um, at our meet and greets and our fans are like, so like, what's next? Like, what do you, what have you, what haven't you done or something? And I, I actually don't, I don't really know. I feel like we, I've accomplished a lot and it's kind of like what I said early on in this podcast was, um, everything at this point is just like icing on the cake. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, we still get to tour. We're still able to put out new music and like, that's, that's awesome. Obviously there's, I guess there's like those dreams of playing somewhere, whether it's like, yeah, where is it? Um, like I've never done Madison square garden. Mm. I've never done, um, like Wembley, like things like that, I guess. Yeah. Or like, I, but I also don't want to put, like so much weight on those things because if they don't happen, that's okay too. Yeah. Like I'm still so stoked every single day. Yeah, like so it, I don't know. It's it's obviously okay and great to to want to dream about that. It's it's okay to want to be there. But like yeah. it's crazy because for someone like me, I can sit back and be like, damn, I want to play two thousand, three thousand people and that's what yeah. you guys are doing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like and, and I never thought I would ever do that. Yeah. So like now that it happens, like I'm uh you know I I celebrate that shit all the time. I don't take it for granted because yeah. it's not, it's not easy to do. And yeah. I think of when I start off in a van and we were playing literally to nobody all the time, we would show up to venues on tour and there'd be nobody there. Yeah. And the promoter would just say, you guys can play if you want, but there's nobody, you know, like that's, I, that's where Bro, I, started. I will never forget the shows where we played in front of the bartender, the manager who was there that night and our merch guy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. And what's crazy is one thing I told my band is like our whole, our whole goal was, I was like, we want to give an arena feeling performance. We had a, we had like a really cool light show, no matter how small the stage is, we were like lights, fog, like make yeah. it epic. Yeah. And I will never forget telling my, my guys, I was like, you guys, it doesn't matter if there's one person there, give them the, give them the best yes. show you've ever yes. given. Yes. And we played this one show and there were probably, probably four kids came to the show. We were the, op- it was the Jeffree Star, I think it was the Jeffree Star tour. No, sorry, shit. Our first tour was, um, holy shit, was Broken Side. Oh shit, remember Broken, Broken Side. Side. Oh, I remember them. It was oh, us yeah. and Broken Side and we opened. And so before fans showed up, I will never forget that we, we played a venue and no one was there for our for us to open except for four kids oh, yeah. but we still just gave it our all and i remember that it was kind of in a weird way one of my favorite shows because i was performing to these four girls you didn't even care and i, yeah. did, and I didn't yeah, care cares. at all yeah and the rock star side of me came out in a weird way see it was weird it was, i love yeah. that stuff i do want to ask about the new sleeping with sirens sirens record yep uh i 
I was, I, I don't know if I was talking to you. I think I was DMing with you about it. I think you I did. Think. I think, you yeah, said, I think we yeah. chatted about it. I told yeah. you it was great. Yeah. Um, dude, it's so damn good. And I think it's got to be a little bit nerve wracking for you to drop a new album on the fans and like, be like, I hope they like it. Like everyone feels like that, right? Absolutely. So Absolutely. is the feedback there? Are, are the fans enjoying it so far? They are. They're okay, good. It. Yeah. It's been, it's been really positive. I think after, um, putting out, um, gossip years ago, you know, and people not liking it, totally get it. We can talk about it. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's a very real feeling when people aren't, aren't, aren't feeling it, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, it's, it's not, I, I think any artist that says they don't care and like, who cares if people like it or if they don't like it. You, I think it's you so care. untrue. Of course you we care. care. Of you course. I mean, and we care because you put, you put your heart and soul into it. So when people don't like it, yeah, you can, you can, we can process and handle it as well as we can and we move on like all good, but it still doesn't mean that there's a part of you that just, ugh, it kind of, it stings a little bit. Um, but it's been great to see the uh, reception to the new record. Yeah. Now, do you know when you put out like gossip, did you guys know before you put it out, you're like, Ooh, this might be risky. Absolutely. You Absolutely. Do. Yeah. And you know, we, we were fortunate that, you know, we had a single that became the Olympic, like theme song that year. And like, there was some cool things that happened with it. And I think that there was a part of us that thought like, maybe this might, this, maybe this will take off. And then, you know, the kind of horror story major label thing happened to us where there was a massive regime change, like a month into our album coming out. And then that was it. Right. You know, like we just didn't, we just didn't have the backing, you know, that was it. Do you guys, mm-hmm. so I was going to say if, if do you guys play a lot of that album live? We don't anymore. None of it? Mm-mm, we don't. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. It's very that interesting. Is, well, I, I, and a big reason, I do love a lot of the songs, actually, and Kellen does too, but specifically for Kellen, he's talked about this in interviews, is that time for a lot of us, like personally, was probably, it was pretty dark. Mm-hmm. The, a lot of us were going through quite a bit, especially Kellen. So Got I it. think that those songs like they correlate with a time in his life that is difficult. Mm. So I think incorporating those back into the set is just kind of, it's a little too like left field for, for us, but specifically for him, which we understand. Um, we've talked about maybe sometime um, in the future, he actually really envisions us kind of reimagining some of those songs with a full orchestra mm. and, and, kind of bringing those songs into a different life mm. like giving it giving it something different mm-hmm. so it's possible that some time down the road we'll revisit yeah. it a bit and when you put out you know your last record coming off of gossip do you know it's different did you identify the parts of gossip that didn't resonate with fans didn't resonate with you guys or do you just kind of like uh brush it off and and just keep going well we were fortunate that i mean gossip now came out i don't know Maybe Gordon knows the year. It's been a while. Uh, but we've had some releases since. And um, I think the record that we did after that was, I don't know, was it Madness? Did Gossip Let and me then see when Madness gossip come? Gossip. Gossip. Or we did How It Feels to Be Lost after Gossip. 
So you had some buffer. Okay, yeah. yeah. Gossip came yeah. out in 2017. Got it. And then what was after that? So I have got, I just, look, let's see. Uh, how it feels to be lost in 2019. Okay, so how it feels to be lost came out. Okay. Yeah, I think how it feels to be lost was how we really f- found our our sound again. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, I think, complete collapse. Our latest record was a continuation of that. Um, we had finally, you know, kind of hit the mark. We're like, okay, this is, this is great. Suddenly, you know, attendance was going up at our shows and people were like excited again. And then the pandemic hit. Right. And then Ooh. How It Feels Be Lost kind of got lost. Yeah. Damn. Uh, so we never really got to ever tour like fully on that record, which was a bummer. But then, you know, still had the creative juices from it and did complete collapse. And so I think we've really found our, our footing with, you know, <clears throat> our sound and where we're going. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. The, I mean, the reason I asked about, um, I think this was, I don't think this was off of, uh, off the camera, but I, when you, when I listened to your album, it felt right. It felt like you guys, it felt like I was back to the error that kind of like the, the early two thousands or mid two thousands era. It just felt yeah. like that for me. Yeah. And I think that a lot of, um, a lot of bands will just kind of try to, transform and change their sound and if it doesn't work and it doesn't stick then like what do you do next you either a make another album that's that's i don't know it's you double down or do you go back exactly do you double down and make something like that again and hope that you might shake some fans and get some new fans but like um i don't know i was from being a an older sleeping with sirens fan hearing your new album that to me, I was like, oh shit. Like it just, I got the feels for it. So oh, thanks. So I'm, I'm really, that. I'm really proud of you guys' work on that new album. It's, it's, it's just as pretty fucking perfect. It's thanks, really man. fucking great. I appreciate that. Yeah. I th- uh, Kellen and I talk about, we played a festival. This was right after, this was during the um, gossip cycle. And we played a festival and we were about to play the single from that. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a very, pop song you know not rock like all this music that had come up come out up until then and um he just looked at us and he's like we're not playing it like let's go into james dean or something like oh it, suddenly there was like this moment at this festival i remember where it just clicked of like that's not who we are mm-hmm. like we're, we're a rock band and that's and then we just played like old bangers for the rest of the set and the crowd went crazy, but more so like we were just having so much fun on stage and we're like, as soon as we got off, we all looked at each other and Kellen was like, dude, we are a rock band. Like that, that's Mm. our roots. Like let's, we can't be, we can't be straying from that. Like it just doesn't feel right. And it's like from there on out, like we barely played any gossip stuff after that because it was like, it was just a moment like, where we all just like knew it, we felt it, and it was like that's that's what that's what this you guys, is what we are, and this is what we're not. I love a that. Setless change in the middle of a set. Yeah, yeah. Kell- Kellen just was like, "We're not playing that song. Like, we're going into like he just like had like Kellen's such a great. He knows how to read a room, but he also knows like what he wants and what he doesn't want, right. and he's and he's so strong in that, and he can foresee so many things and. I, I give him the props that he has that intuition. He's, he's, it's, it's pretty phenomenal to see how he, how his brain operates. Yeah. So he just, he just felt it in that moment. It's like shift. Yep. He was like, 
Like that, I love that's it. not right. And then that just changed the, the trajectory of like what we were doing. That Damn. was it. And in that moment we came off stage and like, we just knew what we were and what we weren't like. So on, on complete collapse, you have a song called crosses with Spencer. Yep. How, how did that feature come about? Did you write the song knowing it would be Spencer? Did you get Spencer to hop on afterwards or? It was, it was after it's interesting because this plays into, um, I've, I've, it's been taking me a while. Obviously I've been in the band for 10 years now. Um, but from the drugs era, um, one of the things that was really difficult for me was being in a studio, but specifically writing imposter syndrome. Like I felt like I, I didn't like have that anymore. Like I wasn't good enough. And, um, I had written a, I'd helped co-write some things for all the other records that I've been on with sirens since I've been with the group. Um, but, uh, with crosses, it was during the pandemic and Zach Servini, um, who, is now doing Bring Me the Horizon, and he's a phenomenal producer. Um, he was he was my neighbor at the time, and um, he he texted me one morning. He was like, "Hey, my session bailed today. Um, do you want to come in the studio and just like work on sirens, or maybe it's not sirens? Like, just come in. Like, we'll just bring your guitar, and like, let's just see if anything happens." And this. I guess this is again like a universe thing, but I went in the studio and he just gave me a BPM, just set a click. He was like, just play the first thing that comes to your head. Oh my God. And I wrote the riff of crosses right there. Sick. No shit. Yeah. And so we, he was like, that's sick. Let's build on that. And he's, just, he's phenomenal. He's, he works so fast. And suddenly I wrote the verse and then I wrote the chorus and all of a sudden you know, a few hours later, we've got the skeletons for this song. And I had this really like proud moment. I was like, damn, like I, I still got it. You yeah, know, it was like that moment. Yeah. And I did not know that Kellen was flying in that night to LA to perform with MGK or to start rehearsals because he was doing Ellen. And um, I, uh, I was like, well, do you think you can come in the studio tonight and hear the song and see if you vibe with it? And he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out. And so he came in the studio that night, vibe with it, wrote all of the lyrics, did everything that night. And like in one day we wrote crosses. Damn. And then after we'd finished it, we felt like the verse like the second verse could still be buffered a bit. We're like, you know, it's, it's missing something. And Kellen was like, let's get someone else. Like maybe we can get a cool feature for this. And Kellen typically doesn't throw that out. He typically is kind of like, he loves what he writes and he doesn't, maybe doesn't necessarily want others to, to have that, you know, like especially when it comes from his heart and it's something that he's mm -hmm. so passionate about. I think it's hard for him to kind of relinquish something to someone else to do. That makes sense. Yeah. But, um, the first person that I, that popped in my head, was like, we got to get Spencer from under Earth. and we're all longtime friends. You know, I've been homies with under Earth since Oh four. And we had always kind of talked like, it'd be cool to do something at some point, but you know, if the stars align and, um, we just, we just 
took a shot and sent it to Spencer. And Spencer told us that when he got the demo, um, he said he heard the main riff, the first like 10 seconds of the song. And he, he was like, that was it. I didn't even have to hear the like the verses or what Kellen was singing like I like I, I want to be on it sick cool and so so we we got him to do it he was the last feature on the album and then he came in and did the music video with us and just great hangs it yeah. was so cool to just I think it was Justin our bass player who was having like a fanboy moment when we were recording the video because suddenly you know Spencer gets changed into his show outfit so he's got like the dirty chucks on and he's got his special tape wrapped around his mic and he's doing his shit. And Justin's like, oh shit, <laughs> yeah. like Spencer is here. You know, we all, like, we're all massive fans. So it was, you know, we still have those moments of like, dude, this is crazy. We've got Spencer from Underworld. Yeah, dude. You know, it's cool. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because people like Spencer and I've, I've built a friendship with him too. Yeah. I don't think he realizes how cool he is. Yeah. <laughs> he's the coolest dude. Because he's so humble he's, and so quiet. And he's like, so yeah. sweet. He's so humble and it's like, and he's just a rock star on stage Yeah, and from such an iconic band that it's so wild. Like, so I did a song with him too uh, yes. called Tommy's face. And when yep. he came to shoot the video, I just couldn't believe he was there. <laughs> right. You had a moment. I, I, right? I had a moment and I was like, yeah. I can't believe Spencer, like, I was doing my scenes and I was rushing back to uh, to the dressing room to change and he was already there and I like I went and said hi really quick and, and like walked away to finish my scene and I was like that's Spencer from Under Oath. I yeah. was like he's right there. Yeah. And he's about to yeah. do my video. Yeah. It was pretty it was pretty freaking crazy. But isn't it still cool to have those feelings? It you is know, cool. It's it, and you know and we're very open when he was there. We're like dude, we're all fanboying, man. Like it's so cool that you're here and he's so cool about it. But yeah. I think it's still so rad to have those feelings at, on any level as an artist as a fan whatever it is so yeah you know it's a it, it we don't take it with a grain of salt we're not like okay cool spence like do your thing we're like yo like this is like royalty yeah here, you I, know i trust myself around everyone yeah i don't think i trust myself around spencer <laughs> <laughs> like i just think that i would it say would some just stupid like too shit. much yeah i would, I would just, like he would know. he would he honestly wouldn't care he's like the coolest he wouldn't care he's the all. coolest guy he ever. was the only dude from under oath that i didn't like approach on the cruise you were like, too, too Tim, nervous chris aaron i was like what's up guys so, so, but spencer i was like oh my god yeah. <laughs> well next next time we do something with under oath you 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 got to just go up there yeah talk to him yeah he's you great too um speaking on cruises yeah i mean when are we gonna get an answer from you guys you know what's really funny can i this is a, a good thing to do right here when you guys announced the first cruise last year yep. um i remember i think i left a comment on instagram or sent a message yes and it was like it was like the week you guys or days before you were leaving for the cruise and i was like what you guys are leaving out of Southern California? Like, wait, is there any more spots? Can I get on? Like, can I bring my wife? And obviously, it was way too late in the game to be asking for shit like that. And you guys, like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, like maybe we'll figure something out for next year. But like, yeah, we did. We we would, yeah. You guys, do. you guys would jump on, please. Okay. I've we, ne you know what? I've never, I've never been on a cruise before, and I've always wanted to. And oh, it well, could be a dream come yeah. true. Then. Well, by the way, I so we always listen to our fans, and we let them essentially book 
our shows, book our cruises. Which so, is very cool. So last cruise was like, who do you guys want to see? And like, well, the fans are oddly very smart. They they know headliners. They know like supporting acts. They, like they know all that. They shit. know how to. There's they, a fan to build that put, a bill. There's a fan that put together an Excel spreadsheet better than mine. <laughs> For real. <laughs> on, For real. Like, on band you're hired. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. But that being said, um, we do want to book a couple more bands. Yep. And I, I know that we're we're still. How far are we? Six months, seven months away. Seven months. Se- we're seven months away, so we have time. Ooh. But tons of fans are commenting sirens. So talk to the boys. Okay. And yes. do you guys do you guys have the space? Are you ready for us? We're we're ready for you. We're ready. Okay. Can we make this happen? Well, we are available at that time. Okay. Okay. Well, let's right. let let's make it happen. Yeah. After this podcast, we'll call talk Kellen. about it. All right. I'll call. We'll Kellen. have the managers we'll... connect. Call Kellen. Okay. That okay. would be sick. Cool. Gavin, Gavin doing business on the pod. Wow. You got to, got to. <laughs> the cameras are I respect it. I yeah. respect it. But yes, we would love, love, love to do the cruise. Yeah. Sweet. Oh, I got butterflies. Right I love now. it. Yes, yeah. dude. I, I think even when Pierre, when we asked, he was like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So this is, this is a much better response. Than oh, wait. Yeah. You, well, what was Pierre's response? He was like, he, oh, we'll have to talk to, we'll have to talk to the drummer. What's his the drummer um, name? Chuck. Chuck. Yeah. Chuck. He's let me talk to Chuck. He totally deflected. But you gave us a yes. Let's go, yeah. dude. We're, yeah. t- we're taking Let's that yes. It. We're I'm taking in. that yes. I'm All in. right. I'm in. Sick, dude. Damn. Um, what's coming up? What's coming up? What do you want to promote? I mean, Charlie Royal Coffee. Ah. You, this is a new venture. Yep. Started in the pandemic. Yep. Uh, we connected on it in DMs. We're we both did. very passionate about coffee. Yep. Where, where's Charlie Royal taking you? What's next for that? Um, It's just still continuing to grow. Yep. I think... Um, you know, I started it as just something for fun. You know, it was just it was something to do during the pandemic, but it was an idea that I'd had the last like four years, five years or so. Um, I'm a massive coffee fan and how I got into coffee and cold brew specifically was, um, I'd mentioned before, you know, I was at a stage in my life where I was really unhealthy. I was obese and I um, was about to propose to my now wife and I just had that moment of like, I can't, I can't sustain this. And like, I'm not living for just myself anymore. Like I have to take care of myself because now I'm potentially going to have a partner for the rest of my life, you know, who should be able to rely on me and depend on me to be there. Um, so I started making these little tweaks in my diet and one of them was, you know, dumping a half gallon of coffee mate into into shitty Keurig coffee every single day. Um, and a, a nutritionist told me, he was like, that's the first thing you need to cut. And mm. I had crippling like acid reflux. So black coffee would just like one sip immediately, like my chest would just be on fire. It'd be like debilitating. And um, I just started hearing about cold brew. It wasn't like a thing yet. It wasn't at Starbucks yet. I don't think it was just a very like new thing that people were starting to, uh, figure out. And living in San Diego, there's a lot of great artisan coffee shops. So, um, I went to a shop called dark horse and tried their cold brew and immediately was like, this is the most delicious coffee ever. I didn't know coffee could taste like this. And, um, I, started losing a ton of weight, obviously uh, other tweaks in my diet, but, you know, just drinking really delicious black cold brew. Um, and then uh, I realized I can't spend $5 a day on coffee. Um, 
I, I got to figure out how to make this at home. So I just got super hooked on every gadget and gizmo to make cold brew and what was the best method and just geeked out on it. Like fell in love with the process of grinding my own beans, finding the right beans, like all of this stuff. And I started going on tour and I was thinking like, I think I can just make this on the bus. Like, again, I don't want to spend five, $10, $15 a day buying multiple cold brews. Let me try to figure it out on my own. So I started making it on tour. I'd go to different uh, local coffee shops every day, find really good beans and make cold brew. And then um, suddenly everyone on the bus starts asking me like, hey, do you have any more cold brew? Did you make cold brew today? And uh, I started tweeting about it a bit too, like, you know, just like enjoying cold brew. And then suddenly fans were like, can we try the cold brew you're making? And I was like, there's something here. Interesting. And so... I figured out all the methods that are just way too difficult. And I was like, what's the easiest way to do this? And um, contacted the manufacturer for those uh, specific like filters used for cold brew. And then I got in really good with roasters in San Diego. And I was like, I think I can just do this on my own. So I just started having my own like personal roast made. So I'd do all these cupping um, sessions to figure out what I liked the most and then um, started making it on tour and literally making it for fans to try and then they would quite literally say like why don't you sell this I'm like maybe that's the next step interesting so um, so then I started I started Charlie Royal and um, just been uh, like I said the pandemic gave me time to do it and my wife really pushed me because, again, imposter syndrome, like, I'm, there's no way I can launch a coffee business. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And um, that's all I did for days on end was just studying, like, how to do this the right way and Got how it. to find packaging and branding and doing all that and just loved it. So it was just really good. The like, cold brew is good. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. I gotta try. I gotta try it. Yeah. Send some. I should have brought, brought some. I should have brought some. I'll send okay. you. Well, or he can. Yeah. But but um, send me some. Yeah. The, I got the cold you. brew packs are great. We we ordered those for the the shop for. I mean, we, when we were de- developing our coffee, um, yeah. I I had your cold, and I was like, I want to do a cold brew pack so bad, but yeah. I, I think our market is a little bit more coffee being yeah, gifty for sure. But man, your cold brew was good. I appreciate it, by the way. Like you're one of the first um, supporters, uh, and I, I I appreciate love that. that. Love yeah. that. And so tell people where they can find it. I I, I don't. CharlieRoyal.com. CharlieRoyal.com. Um, you can order from there or you can find it on Amazon. There's Amazon Prime for it. Oh, it's on and Amazon too. Oh, sick. Yep. yep. And we're just just trying to, to grow it day by day. You know, I think we've got, you know, big ideas for what we'd like to do in the future. And fortunately, I have incredible business partners, you know, one who owns a brewery and a canning and bottling um, So you're not the system. front man on this one. <laughs> You're not the front man on this one. I have, I mean, I, I'm kind of the front man, but I have uh, amazing support, like people that just know what they're doing. It. So it's, oh, yeah. uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's just, it's cool to see um, something that came from uh, like wanting to get healthy, Yep. you know, and just like, being able to share that with others. And I think that's just the fun part of coffee. It's just like with music, like creating something and giving it to the world. 
Um, there's a same, really same thing with this. There's a really good feeling when someone's like, I fucking love your coffee. And yeah. you were the yeah. cupping and slurping and, yeah. and, uh, trying everyone else's coffee. And, and so there is a really good feedback loop on coffee specifically. Absolutely. Um, and it, it was, it was cool during the pandemic because I, I wanted other people to try it with all the different tests I was doing, but it was just my wife. And at the time my neighbor was Austin from water parks mm-hmm. And so I would make him all these batches and then I would sanitize all everything that I made for him and I would leave it on his doorstep. And then he would text me and give me full blown notes and reviews on everything. So he was like my, my, uh, my taste tester for the whole entire Oh, that's sick. That was really cool. That's amazing. We'll put a link in the description for Charlie Royal. I appreciate that. Um, anything else you want to plug? Um, shows we're going on tour at the used at the end of oh my August. God. I can't wait. Oh my God. And we're playing, um, is for lovers, um, in orange County with alkaline trio thrice Hawthorne Heights. I think Emery's on it. Um, I love what they're doing with that festival. Yeah. They're crushing really, it. Really cool. They're crushing it. It's very cool. And for me, I just had such a fanboy moment seeing, the ad mat, the lineup, and it just says alkaline trio thrice sleeping with sirens. So, so that's sick. again, one of those, like when I was a kid, you know, there's no way you could have convinced me that I would ever be playing shows with these bands. With that, your favorite like, bands. Me. Yeah. Dude, I feel yeah. that man. That's awesome. So yeah. So doing a tour with the used, which obviously <laughs> it's like bucket list for all of us, especially for Kellen. Like Kellen is such a massive used fan. So to be able to, do a tour with them is going to be pretty awesome. And then um, we have some ideas for next year, but I can't disclose at the moment, but I will say, what can I get away with saying? It is going to be some of the craziest touring this band has ever done. I can't wait for people to be a part of it. Oh my God. You guys are going to Antarctica. (laughs) That would be so sick. (laughs) I'm going to talk to somebody. Damn, and cool. uh, and hopefully, uh, play on a cruise. You know? Oh yeah, we we got to get you on. You, wanna, yes. you said yes. You, you said, said yes. I said yes. So I guess so. Tell it. everybody else that we're yeah. doing that. Yep. <laughs> I'll, um, um, I'll I'll group uh, Facetime everybody after this and say we're playing a cruise, man. Let's Sorry, do it. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much for being on our show. You were you, you're so nice, dude. Thanks. Oh, thanks, man. You guys are some of the kindest dudes ever. Dude. So like, thank you. Yeah. Thank, thanks for it. being awesome. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for all the music. Thanks for all the amazing music. <sighs> and, and you've, you've played in so thank many you. amazing bands that we both grew up listening to and love so much. And, um, you guys make sure to support his coffee. We will link it in the description. Uh, and also go see sleeping with sirens on tour. I'm going to be at a few of these shows. Please. I would lo- I would be at every show if I can. You want to come on tour with us? I want to come. Yes, I do. Okay, great. Yes. You've got a bunch. So you guys heard done. first. I'll yeah. be on tour with Sleeping with Sirens. <laughs> uh, no, but dude, I look forward to seeing you at your at your next show that, that I can be at. And uh, and ladies and gentlemen, Nick Martin, give it up. Thank you guys. My